Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburrow and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today we chat about fear, especially what we should do when it comes knocking. Hi everyone, welcome to the House of Learning podcast. I'm Richard and uh, we are talking about fear. We did a podcast uh, a little while back where we looked at some of what the Bible has to say and it's really hard to talk about it and keep the theology part and the practical part separate because they just intertwine. But today we're going to try to focus a little more heavy on the practical um, side of things. So this sort of this should complement the last podcast. And so Dave is back, uh, continuing the conversation with us. As I don't know if you I don't know if you want to be this, Dave, the fear specialist. Well, I don't uh, know if I want to be like that, that either. <laughs> <laughs> and then a uh, returning guest, we have our friendly neighborhood therapist uh, and wonderful godly woman as well, which is Heather. Hello. And so, yeah, let me start with you, Heather, because we, Dave and I talked about this on the last podcast a little bit of noticing with what's happened this year. There's been lots of unrest, lots of disunity coming to the surface, lots of transition, um, lots of challenges um, that we've really noticed fear come in the foreground of a lot of conversations and things. Uh, And so I'm wondering for you, uh, you know, what have you noticed this last year? Have you noticed anything new or the dynamics change? It, is it new or is it just maybe that we're noticing it for some reason? Or I don't know. But I, I think one thing we're definitely noticing is, oh, we need to really be equipped to deal with fear. So something's happening. And we're trying to figure out what a little bit. So, so what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we need to step back first and realize that fear is one of five basic emotions. So mad, sad, glad, fearful, and shameful are the five main buckets of emotion. So fear is nothing new, and fear is actually what we're hardwired to feel when we perceive a sense of danger. And so this year has been filled with lots of different things, and for some, they perceived a great sense of danger. For others, not as much. So fear as an emotion comes out of how we perceive what's going on. So the stories we tell ourselves, the way we see things produces the fear that we experience. Uh, Yeah, as as a therapist, I have certainly seen more people more mired in fear than at any other point in my life. Tell me a bit more about the emotion uh, that you're talking about because I think so often when we talk about fear or talk to people about our fears or their fears we think of maybe a habit of thought or a, or a perspective on things or I, I don't know I, I've just it's interesting to me I, I feel like cognitive language is a part of how we talk about fear and yet you say hey it's an emotion I can imagine that seeming to, to lots of people a little bit like, oh, hang on a second. What do you mean it's an emotion? Like, 
that doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it is an emotion. It's something that we feel inside of us. Um, it's when, when we are, when we're scared, um, when we're anxious, it's, it's, it's simply a feeling that we experience. And speaking of anxiety, fear and anxiety are very closely linked because fear is something that we experience on the outside and then anxiety is when we internalize it. I love that. That's a nice, simple definition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you think about uh, our ancestors and that hardwired nature, the tigers approaching, we have that automatic response of fear. So fear as an emotion tells us something's dangerous and sends us into a protective mode to protect us from that danger. Right on a physiological level, we know it attacks uh, our. It's in our amygdala, and that amygdala ignites that flight or fight response. So we see that fear. We're going to fight. We're going to flight. We're going to freeze. And looking out over the past year, you can ask yourself: When I experienced fear, which one of those things did I do? And we can just look out as our and our society and our culture what went on as well. But for many of us, we're stuck in one of those places still right now. And it's not about the fact that it's emotion. It's about how we manage that emotion that allows yeah. us to either be stuck or move forward. Uh, that's really interesting. I, I think I remember from the last podcast, Dave, that we noted the immobilizing effect of fear. Yep. Um, and, and I, I guess we were thinking immobilizing not in terms of fight, flight or freeze, but in terms of it can really inhibit our ability to move into something we might want to or are supposed to or something like that. Um, and, and we were talking a little bit, I'm sort of catching you up to speed here, Heather, <laughs> but it won't be new information for you. But you know, we, we talked a bit about spiritual warfare yeah. and how. You know, Paul says, hey, you gotta you got to know about the tactics of the enemy. And just noting a theme of fear being something that the ungodly or the enemy uses to try to crush how God's using people sometimes, uh, you know, to try to prevent it moving forward. So it it's interesting that it's sort of, it's a part of our inbuilt system to assess the world around us. Um, and, and in one sense, you might sort of then say, oh, well, fear is great. Like, I've got this radar that can say, hey, there's, there could be a danger, right? But so in and of itself, you know, that sounds nice and innocent. But when you think about these biblical stories where God has to come to people and be like, dude, don't be afraid. Like, I can see you feel threatened, but you don't need to be afraid. It's because fear is actually preventing something that ought to be. Um, and, so, and so, I mean, what what do you make of this, Heather? It, you know, is there a sort of, I, I don't even know what language you can, uh, you know, I, I think you probably have got language. I don't know what language I can put around this of like, is there a sort of good version of fear and a bad version? Or is it just, well, fear is fear, but the good and bad is what you do with it or how you situate it or, you know, just... I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, you know, us all be blindly courageous and, uh, and that would largely amount to stupidity. So, yeah, give us give us some tools for sort of assessing 
Like, how do we talk about this to navigate even just having a conversation about fear? That's a, that's a great question. And, and we need to first consider that any emotion, mad, sad, glad, fearful, or shameful, is simply an emotion. It's a neutral signal that something's going on. We don't have to attach ourselves to it. We can sit with it out here and experience it as an emotion. And yeah, it can be used for bad or good. Like we just said, it can keep us absolutely paralyzed and stuck, or it can motivate us into action. And you've probably heard this before, the notion that courage isn't the opposite of fear. Courage is fear walking forward. So, you know, think back to one of the number one fears in the United States, at least, is public speaking. And so you think about that fear, you can stay stuck and never go up there, or you can use that adrenaline and all the systems that are pumping through your body to take it up and bring energy to what you're saying. So there is, it's again, how you, how you manage that fear. It can be a motivator. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting example because one of the things I think, because I, I'm, you know, I grew up being that person who loved nothing better than to be behind the back row, you know, didn't want to be up front unless I had an instrument in my hand, then I was fine. I'd, you know, I I could put on a persona, but um, it was natural for me to have maybe a bad reaction to my fear. And I had to learn a skill to then enable the fear to be a positive, to have a positive outcome. Now is, I mean, because that leaves me wondering, okay, so how much is my propensities for how I might react to fear in different situations to do with my personality? How much of it is to do with just as fallen, broken humans? We've actually got lots of learning to do maybe to, about how we interact with fear. Um, how, yeah, how much of it is that sort of just nurture and upbringing and, um, you know, it's, is it the same for everyone? Do we do we all have this challenge? Or some of us just, yeah, for some people, fear might be something you're going to have to really sort of look in the eye and say, hey, I'm going to have to get intentional, like make a strategy for learning about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's for most of us, it's the latter. Because when we look at it from a physiological standpoint, when we feel that fear, that sympathetic nervous system is going to come in, that fight or flight is automatically going to come in. That's wired into our DNA. So how do we move from that to that parasympathetic nervous system, which is that rest and digest, and I'm able to sit with that fear now and let it, the intensity of it dissipate? Because it's only there that we can begin to operate out of, of the fear, if you will. And, and that a lot of that has to do with being able to be present in the moment and not let that fear rule um, our lives. Because if we can practice mindfulness skills and being present with that, it will actually lower itself. It will dissipate the emotion, the intensity of the emotional will dissipate. Now, that's yeah. a lot of words. And it's something that we have, we have to experience, I think, in order to really get it. Yeah. And that's really interesting, because, I mean, you say, uh, 
you know, sit and digest. I mean, that sounds like have a big lunch and take a nap. Like that sounds good and appealing, right? But I, I'm I'm thinking back to you sharing some of your story, Dave, yeah. and how, you know, in your family life, things that were happening with Rachel and health challenges and um I don't think it I I, I kind of want to ask you about your experience, but I don't imagine that these were the first times you'd encountered fear. No, nope. but I wonder if there was a sort of shock and a surprise to maybe different, a different level or intensity, or you know, just encountering fear in a in a in a different way in those seasons where fear, you know, was trying to beat you up, as it were, you know, to get to put an image around it. Yeah, what, what yeah. was that like for you? I mean, I the, grew up the different types of fear. You mentioned upbringing, and I know I grew up in an explosive household, you know, with parents who uh, were heavy drinkers, you know, and and so there was a lot of explosive arguments and stuff, and I think that like started fear for me as a young kid and stuff, and wanting to be a peacemaker in the family, and uh, I tend to be a peacemaker, you know, and stuff, and so uh, you know when I think of my upbringing, I think of those moments and how I felt and how fearful I was of whether mom and dad were going to stay together or what was going on in the family dynamics. And so there were challenges of that that I'm sure carried over to my adulthood. I never even really thought about it or looked back on it until I got older. And then with Rachel's stuff, it's been interesting because like uh, when she was born with special needs, uh, I wouldn't say that I went to a place of fear, although there, I'm sure there was some anxious anxiety related to that and how are we going to move forward and stuff. But she was diagnosed with uh, several health issues, Hirschsprung's disease, which is a colon disorder. And so she was had like a, a colonoscopy. Uh, she had a bag. So, so she was bagged and stuff. She had a surgery for that. And then we were going back in to reattach her colon after six months and they discovered leukemia. And so we then went through treatment and even that you kind of, we, we headed into a mode of like, Hey, we got to do this and we're moving forward. And it was like six months of really intensive treatment and it was all, you know, we made it through that time and stuff. But I remember at the end of that, when we got through it, I started struggling with depression and with like severe anxiety attacks, I mean, I'd go to the doctor. And I'm like, I got these welts on my legs. I'm like, I'm, I don't know what's going on. And they couldn't figure it out. I remember thinking there's something more to this than just my, you know, <laughs> there's something with my mental health going on here. But I, re- and I was struggling because I was trying to go back to the place where I was living before Rachel's treatment. And I wasn't the same person. And I just remember thinking all these what ifs, you know, and I'm, I'm sure Heather, you run into people or, who are thinking, what if this happens or what if that happens and stuff? And that's kind of the place I was at of like, I didn't want to get up and do anything. I was really lethargic. I was concerned. I was like, what if the cancer comes back? What if we have to go through chemo again? What if she dies? You know, and, and I still live in that place of she could go before me, you know, and stuff, but I don't dwell on that so much anymore but I, in my 30s at 34 and 35 i was in a place of like i don't know how to get out of this mindset mm. you know and i was struggling i was going to doctors and then i just felt like i'm self-consumed and i'm thinking about myself you know and that was just me i know for other people it's different maybe 
but for me, I was like, I gotta, I gotta start thinking of my family and I gotta start thinking of other people. And so like, I purposely stepped into serving other people and I can't explain it, but I got healthier doing that, you know, of like looking at others and how can I step in and help and stuff. And then there was another time that I distinctly remember where I was going to one of Rachel's doctor's appointments and I was like, uh, I am really anxious right now and fearful. And I just need like two minutes in scripture. I need to open the Bible. I just know I need to do that. You know, so I stepped away real quick before we left for her appointment and I opened scripture and I started reading it. And I just remember the sense of peace that poured over me instantaneously, you know? And I remember thinking to myself, I need to remember this, you know, Uh, when I get anxious or fearful or I'm struggling, I need to go to scripture, you know? So like, even now, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I start thinking about things that really there's nothing you could do in the middle of the night, right? (laughs) At that point, I just tell myself, go to the cross, go to the cross, go to the cross. And I usually end up falling asleep, you know, and and being much more at peace because there's not a whole lot I can do in those moments. So those are the things, those are the practical things that that work for me. But I, I still remember that time when I was 34, 35, after Rachel's cancer treatment and thinking, I feel like I don't know that I'm going to make it to age 40, you know, the way I'm feeling right now and stuff. And uh, I know there's other people that go through that stuff. And so I just know those were the things serving others, being in God's word. Uh, Those are, they sound like superficial things, but they're not superficial things, you know, they do help you. And um, having a community around you, you know, I have a community, I have a person I meet with every Thursday morning for coffee. And we solve all the world's problems, you know, <laughs> or we think we do, you know, but it's great. It, it, I think it's healthy for him and it's healthy for me. And we've invited other people in from time to time who are struggling. And uh, yeah, it's been good. Yeah. It really strikes me listening, not just to the variety of things you talk about, Dave, but the seasons of, uh yeah you know, doing better with it and not doing as well with it. And and to think about other people I've talked to and, and myself, um, you know, when you talk about going to scripture, you know, that's the sort of safe space you can go to. Um, but I, I've noticed sometimes with fear, what people do is instead of responding to the fear or the situation, their strategy is maybe I can prevent myself encountering the thing that's going to cause the fear and it becomes a kind of avoidance but actually what you're talking about is not a sort of escapism or avoidance it's a kind of intentional oh okay so if i'm going to respond i i need to not feel like that's my only thing to do because in the middle of the night response might not be you know wake everyone up hey guys we've got to do something (laughs) it's not always going to work um, but it, it isn't just an escapism. It's a sort of intentional, actually, it's a step towards what will become your response. But actually, it, it's to a place of sort of stillness and, uh, I don't know, like a, another perspective or I, I, I just interested you, like the dynamics of that for you. When you talk like. about escapism, I, I, I think I'm at the place in my life where I'm like, I can't escape things. There's things that happen in life you can't escape. You don't want it, you know, 
but I've just learned that uh, I won't use the term power through because guys use that a lot and stuff. Um, mm. I've learned that I can't just power through because what you do is you just push it off and then you crumble later is my thought. And I've seen a lot of guys do that. So like when I hear of guys walking through cancer with a loved one or a kid or a family member, I'm like, you need to talk, you need to dialogue, you need to have people who pray over you, who encourage you and stuff. And I, I've been fortunate that I've had that in my life, you know, and, and I've also gone through so many hard things. People like tell me sometimes, you don't, you don't grieve. I'm like, no, I grieve. I've actually grieve in the moment. And then I move forward and then I grieve again and I move forward again and stuff. And so, uh, you know, we were talking beforehand, scripture, Joshua, uh, the flooded Jordan River. I always remember the stones that are brought out of the flooded Jordan River to the other side, and those are stones of remembrance, you know, that they set up, and they look. And I'm sure they were huge stones. Just my my take on that, you know, and they they look back across a flooded Jordan River that God took them through. They couldn't avoid it, you know. There was no avoidance factor. They had to go through there. They crossed through on dry land. And they're now looking back on the place that God brought them through. And that's, that's just a big thing for me, you know? And then, and then they pile these stones there and they remember and they continue to remember and they point back to it for future generations because I've found uh, through my 60 years of life, you know, from 34 to 60, you know, I've seen all these things that God's done in my family and in Rachel's life and in my life but it's easy to forget too, you know? Yeah. So I always tell people, what are those stones of remembrance that you need to pile up or list out, you know, uh, that you need to remember so that when you encounter the next struggle, because you will, or the next anxious moment or the next fearful moment, you can look back and see all these things that God has done. And yeah. Remember. Yeah. I've noticed that in my life too. It's, um, I mean, even thinking of this year and big transitions or yeah. big challenges that might engender some fear, it's not that I don't experience the fear anymore. But when I do, there's a, and sometimes you're, you, I don't know, you remember this more naturally. Sometimes you have to have someone else remind you or help you out, yeah. you know. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been here before. I remember what happened, you know, not, not being shocked by it. Like, yeah. Oh, I thought I dealt with fear. You know, why, why am I afraid again? It's kind of like faith actually, you know, like when you're a new Christian, you step out and exercise faith and see God come through and you're like, Oh cool. I've learned that. And then you're surprised a year later when you're struggling again with like, ah, can I trust God with this? You know, but it's actually, there's a familiarity maybe with the emotion where it doesn't feel as threatening to us. Yeah. because we've seen what happens when we interact with it and but it's a weird one because it can still feel you know sort of anywhere from annoying to panic inducing or you know there's like a a big range of how we may feel and internalize it but still i don't know there's something that comes with this familiarity and that makes me wonder how much you know if you're a younger person or if you're younger following Jesus, how much, because you mentioned community, Dave, yeah. I wonder how much also having some older people in your life who can just say, it's okay, let me tell you some stories of how God showed up or or what I did. 
you know, just, I, I don't know, there's something about fear that can make us feel like, I, and I, I wonder how much this is a dynamic of fear and how much this is spiritual warfare. I'd love to get your take on this, Heather. But we can feel like we're the only people this has ever happened to. And no one else has ever faced this and we're going to fail or die or, you know, it's, it's going to go wrong for us. And it's just, it's just interesting how easy it is for us to feel isolated when fear comes along. That's right. Yeah. Fear, fear does tend to isolate. And I really appreciate what you guys are both talking about is, is responding. It's how do we respond? How do you respond to fear versus how do you react those, those reactions, those split-second reactions tend to lead to behaviors that don't in the long term dissipate the fear. Um, but you're talking about... And that's, that's that skill learning, isn't it? Maybe our childish, in our childishness and depending on our upbringing or teenage years, or we can be very reactive. And there's a skill in moving from habits of reaction to actually rebuilding some habits of response absolutely that's absolutely right and and dave you hit on a really important point too is that notion of trauma we we all have trauma with big t's or little t's in our life and trauma depending on how it's processed can leave that residual notion of fear and our body keeps score of what's going on with us mentally emotionally spiritually and you gave some great examples of it's coming out in my body but it's really this fear that I need to interact with in a different way. Yeah. And, and absolutely right, Richard. It's, it's a skill set to be able to move from that reactivity of fight, flight, freeze to that response of this is a neutral signal. And I have some things that I can do to help slow it down yeah. so that I can manage it and live out of a place of peace. So let's talk that through because I feel like if we, we're going to be practical, that's the million dollar question. It's a, I guess it's a double sided question. One would be how can we spot when that's maybe an unhealthy, reactive way to do things? And then the flip side of the question is hey, let's example or talk through what some of the healthier response things could be. Because um, with skills, they're not, we're not talking about oh, you know, you'll just wake up one day having experienced something and you'll be there. Like these are things that develop through practice and habit. Um, But often the the best skills is when you actually have a strategy and a goal in mind uh, rather than sort of blind experimentation. So so give us some help, Heather, on, you know, if we feel like we've been blindly experimenting. I feel like I'm getting uh, a free therapy. What are some things we could aim at? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) First of all, I think we need to ask ourselves, is fear keeping us stuck? Are we, are we stymied where we're at? Are we drinking our fear? Are we drugging our fear? Are we pornographing our fear, shopping our fear? Are we medicating our fear? So are we stuck in it? And if yes, are we choosing to medicate it? And then are we really willing to do something different? Because we all know that in order to create those habits, which is a lot of hard work, takes a large degree of readiness to step into that space. So accepting it, acceptance doesn't mean I like it, but accepting that it's there and we're doing whatever we're doing with it. And are we ready to change? Yeah. So what does that non-acceptance look like? Is it a sort of, oh, well, hopefully, I don't know, I'll 
I'll just binge watch Netflix and hopefully when I wake up tomorrow, I'll feel, I won't feel the same mm-hmm. or something like that. That would, that would be a non-acceptance. A non-acceptance yeah. means pushing down and it keeps coming out in odd, unproductive ways. My, yeah. non, my non-acceptance was busyness, filling, filling whatever time I had to or could so I didn't have to think about it. That's a great example. Yeah. And it's the only aholism that we give kudos to. I worked really hard. Oh, you're yeah. good. I'm really busy. Yeah. Oh, you're great. It's it's just like any of the other addictions. It's an yeah. addiction yeah. that we hide in. Yeah. The interesting one about busyness is um, I, I'm not sure if actually the emotion of fear interacts with, with this, but I've noticed with anxiety, sometimes what we reach for is control. And if we can't control the anxiety, we try to control other things around us in the hopes that somehow it'll make a difference. And and sometimes we can sort of overdo that and end up hurting ourselves or others around us, right? Uh-huh. But yeah, busyness, that's that's a dangerous one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a popular one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in our, in our Western culture. We get affirmation for it, and yet it keeps us stuck eventually. Yeah. Um, it probably, my guess is it leads to other issues too, like insomnia or whatever. Yes. Or welts on your leg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so if we've accepted, like, okay, fear's going on, um, uh, and maybe we've binge-watched Netflix and then be like, hang on, this is not the right thing to do. And so then we're posturing ourselves and we're like, okay, do I give myself a stern talking to? Do I talk to someone? Do I pray? Do I, Dave said, read my Bible? You know, like, what would be some next steps to help because you, you're saying to get to this place where there's some stillness to allow things to dissipate, to, to process, to digest. Um, does acceptance automatically get us to being able to do that? Or can that be a hard thing to move into as well? I think it can be a very hard thing. And for most people, for most people, they need someone else to come alongside with them, depending on how stuck they are. I mean, and by someone, it could be a book, it could be a podcast. Um, but at least from my vantage point, um, sitting, having someone create the space to sit with you and look at that fear together um, is helpful in dissipating it. You've given a lot of good examples. And being part of a community, um, we know that prayer, meditation, journaling, anything that we can do to get that fear out of ourselves. So anything we can do to externalize it, because when it stays in us, it it grows. So journaling or any kind of art. um, Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Scripture, uh, exercise, how we eat, how we fuel our body, all these things that help reduce anxiety, which is again, fear internalized, help us also to reduce yeah. stuck in that fear so i i wanted to ask this question at some point in the podcast that it's, this feels like a good time because um, i can imagine some people will be listening and actually they aren't at the moment wrestling with any great sense of fear but they might know someone who is and i've noticed sometimes in group dynamics watching people interact with fears and anxieties that uh, and they seem to me sometimes to be unhealthy, but I want to sort of ask, you know, get your take on this, Heather, um, 
to to know like what should we do that can help but the the sort of extremes at the end of the spectrum i've noticed are to to at one end of the spectrum you've got the kind of almost i'll i'll help you deny the fear i'll mitigate oh you don't need to worry about that's not a thing i'll i'll just I'll, I'll affirm denial to try to help you not feel afraid. At the other end of the spectrum is the, well, I'll just solve this for you. You know, I'll, I'll just try to remove you or, or do something so you don't need to be afraid anymore, you know, um, which I, I'm sure there's some healthy versions of I'm going to help you. You know, it's just at the, at right at the extremes, it's obvious to me these are unhealthy. And so I, I'd, I think it'd be great to have some input. And, and I wonder if you've, you must have noticed this pastoring people and watching people, Dave, as well. You know, what what are the helpful things to actually assist someone in getting to the, the healthy place in interacting with this so they can respond? I think in a nutshell, sympathy is feeling for someone, which leads to problem solving and I'll take it away from you. And empathy is feeling with someone. Empathy requires us to connect to that same feeling in ourselves so that we can sit with the other person and feel with them, not for them. When we feel with someone, they inherently feel that connection. They can then begin to connect to themselves, connect to God, connect to others. That's where, in a nutshell, it starts. Mm, I love that. Well, I was thinking, and Heather, you could probably confirm this from things that you've seen, but I, I've just found that when I sit with somebody, I'm a fixer. I want to be able to fix it. You know, my wife has told me, I'm telling you this not for you to fix it, just to listen, you know? And so I've learned, still learning that over the years. But when I sit down with somebody, I oftentimes have found that the more they share and the more they talk, the more they're working through their own problem and I don't have to fix it. You know, they're figuring it out. They're talking to God along the way. And, uh, I, I think, you know, we're in a culture of immediacy too, you know, with our phones and technology and we want to solve it right now, you know, and sometimes it doesn't happen right now. It, It usually takes time. It takes space. It needs maybe a few prayer walks, you know, it means talking to your friend about it and, and being encouraged by them. Um, so, so those are the things that I'm, I'm learning. And I'm learning I need yeah. to do the same. You know? that's, that's so right on, Dave. When people ask me what I call myself, I will often say I call myself a space creator because space, I think, is the rarest resource we've got going right now. We have gobs of information. We have gobs of things to do. But in space... If you come, my belief system is we all have the capacity with God to deal with and solve what's going on inside of us. If someone will empathically create the space for you to do that. And that's exactly what you're, you're seeing there, Dave, is when you can create that space to have people externalize, they can begin to see what's going on clear yeah. often take themselves to a healthier place. So and that's a skill we can all practice, right? Yeah, because absolutely. to to ask a question and just listen, yeah. a three year old can do that. So, and and I, I often meet people who feel like oh, I'm not very good with empathy. But if you said, "Can you ask people questions and listen to what they say?" 
I've not to date met a person, they might not enjoy doing it, but I've not met a person who said I can't do that. So we're all equipped for this one, which is great. And you find that I found that they leave in a better place than when they came in to talk to me and stuff. I mean, I've done, I remember one time taking my daughter when she was a teenager out for like a dad daughter date coffee or something, Starbucks. And, and we're sitting there and she was sharing, sharing, and I hardly said anything. And we drove home and she, she said, thanks dad. That helped a lot. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I said a whole lot, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and stuff. So it's, you know, it's important to listen. I, I need to listen better. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Our presence is powerful. Your presence was extremely yeah. powerful with her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to wind the storyline practically on a bit. So we, we haven't avoided or we've stopped avoiding and we've talked to someone and we're trying to sort of wrestle with what's going on, become more self-aware, realize what's affecting us, think about how we may respond. Um, and, and and, you know, you talked about thing, you know, the emotion dissipating. Um, and so I'm imagining a scenario which I think lots of us have encountered either in ourselves or others where someone may be genuinely trying to process, but they still feel maybe either continually or sort of periodically sort of attacked by fear, overwhelmed, Um yeah, and there's all sorts of dynamics here. So I, I don't need to spell out the varieties, but there's just, a, you know, pract- I, I want to ask the practical question again of, you know, if you're trying to do the right thing here, but instead of dissipation, you're encountering sort of maybe fresh waves of fear. Um, you know, and again, I, I think of the sort of spectrum of, approaches here like dave you mentioned earlier the kind of you know unhealthy toxic masculine sort of oh just power through just keep trying you know um through to probably some form of avoidance again um but i think lots of people do experience i mean like lots of our emotions um we we become aware of them in fits and starts and so fear can be very much like that too so what would you say, yeah, to sort of give some guidance if people are experiencing that dynamic, Heather? First of all, it's very normal. Again, we have five emotions. We're going to experience them all over and over and over again. Um, look at what you are thinking. Look what the stories you are telling yourself. Look at the stories that you've lived and the messages that you've carried from those stories. And that's where I would start. And write yeah. down. What are the stories I'm carrying? What are the messages I'm carrying? And just look through and ask, ask, ask yourself, how much of this is truth and how much is lie? And you may need somebody else to come along and say, no, that really is a lie. Of the 90,000 thoughts we have going through our mind every day, and I'm not sure how that's calculated, but... Oh, that's actually a number. You didn't make that up. That's, that's good to know. <laughs> Most of them are thoughts not facts. And yet we treat most of them as though they are facts. I'm a worthless person. Thought, let it go. There's no way I can do this. Thought, let it go. And so beginning to really understand what we're holding in our head, because what we hold cognitively will impact what we're feeling emotionally and what we feel emotionally will impact what we do behaviorally. We've got to go back 
to the stories, the thoughts. Um, I don't know if you've all seen this, um, and I'm not even sure where I originally got it from, but looking at God's voice versus Satan's voice. And um, God's voice always stills us, leads us, reassures us, enlightens us, encourage, comforts, calms, and convicts. And so look, does that thought do one of those things or Satan's voice that rushes, pushes, frightens, confuses, discourages, worries, obsess, and condemns? Because that's really important to know whose voice are you listening? Yeah, I love that. That's so important. I've met so many people who say, I think God is saying because I'm afraid of. And it's sort of a red flag. But I, I think it, it brings God God's voice into the conversation. And actually, Dave, it sort of brings, like you were talking about the Bible, but it brings God's words in, in another way as well. So you can have this sort of, yeah, I know what God's voice should do to me. Mm-hmm. So this probably isn't a voice of truth. Yeah. But also, this is why it's so important that we're in our Bibles, reading them regularly. And we, all of us reading our Bible, put it down sometimes thinking, what was that all about? I'm confused. I didn't understand that. But if we have a habit of doing this, we're setting ourselves up to have better filters to notice. Oh, hang on a second. That's not true. That's not real. Yeah. You know, and and so there are some of these sort of preventative things that help us be healthy and equipped when fear is going to come along. I liked Heather's thoughts of, uh, you know, you have two voices talking to you. I always tell people that you got two voices talking to you which voice are you listening to, you know, uh, because there's, there's the voice of truth and there's the voice that's a lie, you know, and tells yeah. you, you should fear this, you should fear that. And God tells you, do not fear, you know, I'm walking with yeah. you and you're good. Doesn't mean that you won't encounter hardship. Um, I, for me, it's like the, there's the verse of taking every thought captive and, you know, <laughs> that's, mm, that's, that's good that, that flows into all areas. You know, we tend to, think it's specific for one thing but it's for all areas of you know fear is a big thing i was just looking at philippians 4 and i love this do not be anxious about anything but in everything every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, you know, and then it tells you what to think about, you know, from there. And I'm like, okay, what am I thinking about? You know? Yeah. But sometimes it's hard to give Thanksgiving. We get so focused on the fear or the thing that you're facing that you don't give thanks and you have a lot more things to give thanks for. Oftentimes I was just talking to a friend about this, you know, that, that, you know, I don't, I don't know what it was. January and February, I struggled with giving thanks. (laughs) You know, I don't know if it was, pandemic related or rain related, you know, just the time of the year, winter, you know, but there's a realization. I have a lot of things to give thanks for, you know, my family, my marriage, my granddaughter, uh, all sorts of things. So uh, there's like the thought I need, those are the things I need to focus on, not the lies. And that's hard culturally because we associate Thanksgiving with a sort of Lego movie moment. Like when everything is awesome, that's when I feel thankful. (laughs) But yeah, you know, they may have messed up your order, but you can still be thankful that the fries are hot or, you know, it's like, (laughs) but it, it, life is normally a mixture. Your lists as well were great, Heather. 
another um a, another distinction i notice is this sort of um it, there's god and there's the enemy but also within us we've got this voice of pride which can be destructive and this voice of doubt so sometimes the voice of pride says you can do it go for it and then we encounter the fact that we can't and satan tries to make us feel afraid and actually what we should feel is completely normal or we have the voice of doubt that says you can't and we we sort of are afraid because we feel powerless and you know that's just another interesting set of categories so i want to get like just a last last word from you heather because uh with the dynamic of fear we talked about it a lot we could talk for hours and hours on this but is there anything you think just within the narrative of our christian story as disciples of jesus on the mission of jesus like how do you see fear interacting with our lives um is is there a sort of distinctively christian thing to say about fear maybe to I don't know, put it in the right light or things to be wary about or things to notice about it? Well, I, what comes to mind first, Richard, is the notion that there are over 300 fear knots in the Bible, which as Donald Miller, I once read, he said, clearly God knew we were going to fear. And clearly <laughs> he was telling us that we didn't need to fear. Yes. So to know, in the, in my mind, to know, yeah, that fear is real, we're all going to experience it, and yet we have God here giving us what we need, giving us the sense of peace and love and understanding and purpose, etc. And so I think we as Christians have this leg up, and... What I'm encouraging myself and others to do is lean into that truth because we've got a big job to do down here and there's a lot of fear going on. And I think we have the opportunity to teach and show and model how you can live in a fear-based culture without fear. Guiding, that's amazing. Guiding our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great thought to leave things on today. That's amazing. That's uh, inspiring. So I love that. So thank you, Heather. Thank you, Dave. I'm sure we'll talk about these things more. And I hope those of you listening, you find that helpful. And, you know, if you come along on Sunday or or even if you don't, you know, the people at church, we're, we're here for you. If you're struggling with that, I need someone in my corner with a fear as well. So that's invited. So have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. 
If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.